Okay, so good morning, everybody. Today, Bezrat Hashem will be learning Daf Ein Vavim Aseches Psachim. We're going to learn in the Schutzer for Shleim of Lior Chai Ben Yael, paramedic in Israel that was injured in a car crash this morning. Of course, the Eli Nishma, Sof Chaim Zebin, Rav Aram, Aaron Alevi, as everyone, um, as every time, and also, uh, why not, Rabbi Abraham Tursky and all those who we lost this incredible, uh, year of, uh, for Klal Israel of loss. Be'ezrat Hashem, may all who are ill be healed, and all of our losses, um, be returned with Yeshua, and they all be Melitiosha for all of Klal Israel. Okay. Uh, today we're going to be learning some Yeridea. Okay, some concepts in Yeridea. Ahmed Aleph in Daf Ein Vav has to do uh, with, two th- with uh, a very famous Machlokas Rav Shmuel, that anybody who learns Yeridea for Smicha discusses at great length. And then Ahmed Bez talks about two different things, like a treif and a kosher thing in an oven. So, uh, concepts that are important in the study of Yerdea. If you want to be a, a rabbi, you have to know how to deal with people and also how to deal with kashras. Yerdea is the, is, is, is the famous, um, smicha that people often get. But I think in Neri Sral they have the Mishnabura, um, the Orchaim smicha, I think, right? Anyway, that's an important one also. Orchaim is also very important. To know Orchaim is probably even more practical on a day to day level. Because we have the star K now. Okay. So without any further ado, we're on the Mishnah. Maybe I should on, on Ein Hayam Beis. Okay. Not, okay, getting serious here. We were talking about the carbon Pesach. So the last two days, we were very focused, last two blot, very focused on this Ketzat Solon Perak, on the fact that the carbon Pesach has to be flame roasted. Now, and we said the flame has to be touching the carbon Pesach, it has to be, that has to be um, what cooks the carbon Pesach, what roasts the carbon Pesach. Okay. Now, if something else touches the carbon Pesach, at that point, it may not be, a, it may be a big issue. We said yesterday the Rambam says that maybe you can grill it. That is not what Rashi says. Rashi says, Chaz v'shalom. You can't, nothing, you can't have it on, near a grill, on a grill. That's not considered the ash, the fire actually roasting the carbon Pesach. Okay, so, but even, even within the Rambam, maybe the grill is only okay if you had the grills very far apart, right? The bars of the grill very far apart. But if you touched, let's say, if the Korban Pesach touched the hot, hot oven or was in a hot pot, so then that would be a problem. That portion of the Korban Pesach would be puzzle. And let's see that in our Mishnah. Here we go. Set, starts our Mishnah. Naga becharsa shel tanur. Okay. The, Right, the carbon pesach, as it's being roasted, touches some earthenware oven. What do you do? Yiklafes makomo. So that's amazing, right? It doesn't passel the whole carbon pesach, which is good to know. Doesn't you know? It doesn't passel the whole animal, but you are going to have to peel off the area where it touched the earthenware oven. That's very interesting. So, right, it's as if it got, and we're, this is how it gets into hilchas kashrus. It's as if it touched something treif. Right, and then you have to peel off the treif portion. The rest of it is kosher, but to a carbon pesach to touch something that's not fire when it's cooked, when it's roasting, is a treif, so to speak. Right, what we call treif. Okay, so then you peel it off at its place. Fine. 
Now, notaf mi rotvo alacheres vechazar elav. Here is where it gets very yeridei. The Korban Pesach emits some gravy, right? Um, so some of that gravy is, flows out onto the earthenware, the said, the aforementioned earthenware oven, and then splatters back onto the Korban Pesach. Mm-hmm. So if that happens, yito es mekomo. There, notice the difference. You're not just yiklof, you're not just peeling um, the very outer layer, but you have to remove the place where this gravy dripped back onto the carbon Pesach. What do you mean? So let's see the Rashi. Lo sagile beklipa, right? It's not enough, says Rashi, to peel off the very outer layer. El benetila yafa yafa beove the shuman nivla besocho. Okay, the reason why you have to take out Makomo implies deeper, right? Um, like a finger's breadth of depth, which is deeper than just the outer layer. Why? Because the, right, the fat, the shuman, is nivla besocho harbe. The oso shuman mevushal minacheres. A fascinating idea that the gravy is absorbed. Now, if gravy is hot, anything that's hot gets absorbed. It's what's called a blia. Right, that's the concept, the concept of blia you hear all the time when you're learning your idea. So, again, when it just touches the oven, we'll see. Maybe the oven was hot, maybe the oven was, um, maybe the oven was cold, we'll see. But regardless, right, when the oven touches this carbon Pesach, it's not a liquid that gets really, that gets really, um, absorbed. As opposed to when you have gravy, the gravy gets absorbed. So that's the point of the Mishnah. That if it is a gravy type of vehicle for this heat, so then that gets absorbed and then you have to remove not just the very outer layer, but even a little bit more like a finger's breadth. Good. And finally, the third case, Natov Mirotvo al Hasoles. So here, something interesting happened. The actual, um, the actual gravy dripped off of the Korban Pesach and it landed in flour. So now, an incredible idea. That gravy is considered Korban Pesach, right? Because it came from the Korban Pesach. But it landed in flour, and then, as Rashi explains, the flour itself was very, became very hot, and it's considered as if the flour cooked this gravy. Now, the way, right, the way gravy gets absorbed into flour is even more profound than the way it would be absorbed into meat. And the entire area where the flour was is not really edible. Why? Because it's as if that gravy, which is a Korban Pesach, was baked, so to speak, by or cooked by the flour, right? Because once it's very hot, it makes the flour hot. The flour then cooks the gravy, and now the gravy is not being cooked by an ish, and that gravy is still considered Korban Pesach, so it's like kachim psulim, says Rashi. Right? Amazing idea. Right? V'yisraf oto kometz, right? Kishar kachim psulim. It says yikmotzit makomo. You have to take not just uh, klipa and not just makom, right? Not just um, yitolet makomo, not just remove its place, but take a whole handful of surrounding to make sure that you don't have any absorbed area of, area of absorbed gravy in the, right? In, in this, um, uh, flour. Wow. Okay. Fine. So that is the first three cases, and we'll discuss, we'll spend most of our day discussing the concepts therein. Uh, but just to finish the Mishnah, Sacha B'Shem and Truma, 
So now you're smearing the, right, the carbon Pesach with some oil, which is great. Uh, it's nice to know that you could do that, right? In other words, just because it has to be flame broiled doesn't mean that you can't, you can't spritz some oil on it and make it, make it yummy, okay, as it's roasting. Uh, the problem is, the problem is it's truma. So if you're a Kohanim, that's okay, because a Kohanim can eat truma. Im Kohanim The Imshel Israel, however, if it's our Chabura, right, then, then, Imchaihu Yedichenu. So now we have a problem. We can't eat this truma. So, if, at what stage did you actually spritz this oil on the Karp Pesach? You rubbed it with some oil. So if the Karp Pesach was in the raw state when that happened, then just rinse it. So you can see again how this is very relevant, right, in the kitchen. Right, you have the meat and you smear it with something you can't eat. So do you have to throw it out or can you just rinse it? How do you do it? Do you have to, do you have to, um, right? Do you have to slice off a piece? So here it's saying that if it's still, so to speak, cold, right? We'll call it raw. So then you can just rinse off that oil. Right. But if you roasted it and now you have, it has this outer layer of oil, like crust, then that you just peel it off and then that's fine. Now. Finally, Sacha B'Shemen Shal Maiser Sheni. Maiser Sheni, right, it's not something that we give to the Aniyim, because it's not Maiser Ani. It's not something that we give to the Kohanim, right, or the Leviyim. It's something that we give to ourselves, but the point is that we have to eat it in Yerushalayim. So it's an incentive, so to speak, to make us come to Yerushalayim, because that's the only place where we can eat it, okay? But you can't sell it in Yerushalayim. The idea is you're supposed to eat it in Yerushalayim. You're supposed to bring stuff and eat it in Yerushalayim. Good. Now, what if you have too much stuff to carry because you're very, very wealthy, you're doing really well, and your maestro comes out to a lot, and you couldn't possibly carry all of it to your shalim. So fine, sell it, and then come to your shalim with the money, and then buy in your shalim that amount and eat it there and make a whole yuntiv um, over there in your shalim. So you go to your shalim for yuntiv, and you spend all the money eating out, you know, with this maestro shani money. However... The, once you're in Yerushalayim, you can no longer sell it. So let's say you brought oil that was Maishr Shani. The idea is to eat in Yerushalayim. However, it says the Mishnah, So you could use that, right? So again, you went to, you went to Yerushalayim for Pesach, as you should, and you brought your oil and you're gonna, you're planning to shmear the carbon Pesach with it. That's all great. Uh, but you can't charge the Bede Chabura for it, right? Because if you charge them, that's like being podem meiser in your shalim, and you cannot do that, right? As the Mishnah concludes, she'ain podin or ain mochrim. You have to look at the at the uh, girsa, but whatever it is, you don't sell meiser sheni be only outside of your shalim, and then bringing the money in. Good. So we finished the Mishnah, and now on to the Gemara. Itmar cham lato cham divrei hakol. As we turn to vav amud aleph, and the first word is aser. Okay. What are we talking about here? A very interesting, fundamental Yerodea idea, which is the transfer of power, right? The transfer of Tom, the transfer of Isser, let's say, as it's absorbed. So, Andrew, let's say you have two things, and one of them is Usser and one of them is Mutter, okay? Or it's Usser for them to be together. Let's say they're both Mutter, but it's Basar Rechalov, right? So... The idea is, do we transfer, right, the basar to the chalav or vice versa? So if they're both hot, everybody holds that that concoction is going to all be usr, right? So it's easier to talk about when one is usr and one is mutter. We'll do it like that. Fine, so you have an usr thing and you have a mutter thing. If both of them are hot, so then the whole thing becomes usr, meaning, right, there's something called, as we said, a bliya, 
and the vehicle for, for this absorption is heat. So if both things are hot, then there's no question that the Isser is going to be transferred from one to the other. That's the easiest way to do it. And when one is Asr and one is Mutter. Okay. Now, Tzonen L'Soch Tzonen. So again, you have like a cold bowl of something and you pour something cold onto it. So then, Divri HaKol Mutter. So whether that which in the bowl was Asr or that which was poured into the bowl was Asr, you could just rinse it off. Everyone's going to say it's Mutter, which means that as long as, obviously you have to rinse it off. You can't just leave it and eat the usser thing. But if you can get rid of the usser thing, then there's no absorption going on. That's the point. And as long as you can physically, right, remove the usser thing, so then you are okay to eat the mutter thing, even though they were in contact with each other, when things that are cold are in contact with each other, there is no absorption that goes on, and therefore all you need to do is remove the usser thing and you're good to go. Okay, so it's very straightforward. If it's hot, it absorbs. If it's cold, it doesn't absorb, and that's how you handle yourself in the kitchen. However, what if one is hot and the other is cold? If one is hot and the other is cold, so what prevails? The cold that doesn't absorb or the hot that does absorb? So, as we say, cham letoch tzonin, v'tzonin letoch cham. Right, and that can work both ways. There is a difference between that which we pour into uh, that which re- receives it. So we'll say that which is in the pitcher versus that which is in the bowl. Right, the bowl we're going to say is underneath a pitcher, and so that which we pour in from a pitcher versus that which is in a bowl. So let's say you had cereal in a bowl and milk right in the pitcher. So if the milk was hot, or or in the bowl, right, the milk was cold, but in the bowl was right oatmeal, hot oatmeal. So Rav Amar Gavar, interesting. Rav says. That which is being poured out of the pitcher dominates. That means that it only matters whether that which is in the pitcher is hot. That's the point. In other words, any time you pour cold milk, let's say, out of the pitcher, that, that which is poured out of the pitcher would dominate. That means that let's say you have hot porridge, right? And you're pouring cold milk into it. You're going, assuming, but, but, but the cold milk is going to be hard to get out. But let's say the cold milk just stays all the way on top of this hot porridge, right? It doesn't, you don't see it sinking in. Assuming you could pour the milk out if it's cold and then sort of like rinse off the top of the porridge and you see that none of the milk is left, you are not, there's going to be no absorption. It's going to be considered as if there's no absorption of the isser. The milk is, let's say, what is usser. There's no absorption because ilah gavar. Whatever the pitcher is, that determines whether this union of the cold and the hot is going to be, so to speak, absorbed one into the other. So if the pitcher is cold, that's going to dominate, right? And conversely, if the pitcher is hot, so even if you have cold cereal and you pour in some hot milk and you, if, and you can rinse off the hot milk and you're left with the cold cereal again, it's going to be considered as if the cold cereal absorbed the hot milk because ilaa gavar, right? That which is in the pitcher is all that matters in terms of whether it's hot or cold. If it's hot, it's going to be considered as if the, there was absorption between the two substances. If it's cold, then there wasn't, and you just need to rinse it off. That's what ilaa gavar means. And Shmuel says the opposite, amar tata gavar. Shmuel says that the bottom, whatever is in the bowl, that dominates, which means whether that's hot or cold determines whether it's going to be whether it's going to be absorbed or not. Very, very interesting. Now, Tasa Gvar, Rashi, uncharacteristically, 
shows us what the psak is. Rashi gives us a little bit of a heads up. What is going to be uh, going on in Armad Aleph is three rayas from our Mishnah for Rav, all of which will be rejected. And then usually, even though we paskin like Rav, when it be, right, when in Isra Hetzer, whenever we have Machokas Rav Shmuel, in this particular case, Rashi points out, here the Allah is going to be like Shmuel, even though the Allah is always like Rav and even though we bring three Rayas for Rav from our Mishnah, we subsequently to that in our very daf, we are going to bring two Rayas from two Brices for Shmuel, and Shmuel's shot of Tasa Gavar is actually becomes the Halacha. Wow. And so that, that's what we're going to see. I always would have thought Tassar Gavar. I don't know. It feels like home court advantage. It's very balabatish, right? It feels like if it's sitting in the bowl, then it's always going to be dominating over what you pour into it and it either cools or heats on the way. I don't really, um, uh, I'm not an expert in these inyanim, but Tassar Gavar is like something that makes sense to me as I hear it. But anyway, um, let's see. Tanan. So now we're going to try to prove for Rav versus Shmuel in our, in our uh, Mishnah. Again, Rav says, Ilah Gavar, and Shmuel says, Tasa Gavar. So it's not. Not tough, Mirot Valacheres. So just the case that we mentioned in the Mishnah, that gravy, right, falls onto this earthenware oven. And then the gravy splatters back onto the carbon Pesach, and we say that we have to, what? We have to slice off a piece of the carbon Pesach because it got some of the gravy splattered back onto it. So, Okay, so let's assume that the actual oven was cold. So now we'll walk you through what happens, and we'll see if it makes sense according to Rav or only according to Shmuel or only according to Rav. So let's see. This makes sense according to Rav. If you say Logvar, because of the following, watch this. Our mission is only going to make sense according to Rav if the oven is in fact cold. Why? The Gemara walks you through it. The Azal rotev meratachle lecheres. Okay, so you have a scalding hot carbon pesach broiling, and you have an, a cold earthenware oven. The, right, so here's the journey of the gravy. It's sizzling, and it splatters off, and hits the cold oven. At the ditch point, okay, it heats up the oven, right? Now, it's only going to heat up the oven. Again, the gravy is akin to that which is being poured out of the pitcher, right? It's the, right, it's law. So you're only going to consider that gravy as heating up the oven, the cold oven, if you hold like Rav. Because if you hold like Rav, then that gravy is heating up the oven. If you hold like Shmuel, then it only matters what the oven is. The oven is like what's in the bowl. That's the tata, right? So... So it would be as soon, the whole idea of this gravy would be killed right on the spot because as soon as the hot gravy splatters onto the oven, the oven overwhelms it and it's as if that cooled off the gravy and there's no absorption of any heat and and nothing bad happened. But if you hold like Rav, so then when the hot gravy spills onto the oven, the oven gets heated by the gravy and then what happens is this reciprocal exchange through the heat then turns right back around and goes back in the other direction from the hot oven which was heated by the gravy back into the hot gravy and then when the gravy splatters and jumps right back onto the carbon Pesach as the Gemara says the Gemara then reciprocally heats up the gravy right and when the gravy jumps back and splatters back onto the carbon Pesach the 
and it's as if the Pesach gets in, uh, in effectively heated up by the heat of the earthenware, right, of the earthenware oven, which, mind you, was heated only by the Rotev in the first place, but it is heated nonetheless, right? Because we say that according to Rav, Ilog, Var, so that means that it doesn't matter where the source of the heat for the oven was, even if the source of the heat was this gravy, it's as if the oven itself became hot and then heated the gravy and the gravy jumped back and that is going to be a problem for the Gorm Pesach because Rechman Amar, Sli Eish, Vlot Sli Machmas Dover Acher, It'll be a violation of the tzfliyesh because it will be all akin to the carbon pesach being heated up by the oven. Amazing. But all of that doesn't ever get off the ground if you hold like Rav. Uh, it doesn't hold, it doesn't, it only gets off the ground if you hold like Rav. If you hold like Shmuel, it doesn't work because the Gemara says, El li Shmuel, the Amar Tasagvar, if you hold like Shmuel, then Cheres came in the Tanin who are maker of the Rotev. Then as soon as the gravy hits the oven, it's going to be cooled off. Right? Because it's, in fact, tasagva. And the oven is what is tasa, and it just calls off the rotev. And even if the rotev splatters back, it doesn't mean anything because it didn't get any blia from the oven. And if that's the case, and says the Gemara, Ma'itos Makomo, the fact that the Mishnah says that we have to slice off a piece of the Korb Pesach must mean that we hold like Rav, that, right, that he logvar. Gemara ever rejects it and says, where did you get this idea that the oven is cold? Right? If you say that the oven is scalding hot, so then the whole thing can work according to Rav or according to Shmuel. The Gemara says, We didn't see the Solas Rosachas yet. We're about to see it soon. But the answer simply is that just like in the case we will see in the flour, the flour itself was boiling hot. Here too, the oven was boiling hot and then therefore the whole idea of Rav and Shmuel becomes irrelevant. Okay. Fifteen lines down on Ein Vav we turn on the afterburners and at 5.57 a.m. as follows. Tanan. That was challenge number one. Let's do challenge two as follows. So back to the flour. So we explain the dynamic of why you'd have to take off a whole fistful of flour and take it away. So So you might have thought that we're talking, let's say, about cold flour. Same exact thing, basically, as almost as the oven, what happens? So that makes sense only according to Rav. Because if, in fact, the flour is cold, so then when the gravy spills into the flour, so then the hot gravy doesn't do anything to the flour if the flour is cold, right? And so because the flour is, because we hold like Rav of Ilag Gvar, so then that carbon pestle gets infused into the flour. Hudrane, right? Because it the right because we hold that ilogvar, so then this gravy is going to drip onto the flour, heats up the flour that's around it. The hadra solas and and then the flour right heats up the gravy again. It's not like this gravy is treif, right? It's carbon pesach. It's it's cool. You can eat carbon pesach. And the problem is not that. The problem is that if in fact the flour heated up the gravy. So then the flour is being heated up by something other than a flame, right? The gravy, in turn, that's heated up by the flour is being heated up by something other than the flame. And as the Gemara continues to say, and in this situation where you say that this gravy is being heated up by right, the solace, by, by the flour, right? Torah said it has to be tzliyesh. Here it's as if the right gravy is being heated up by the flour. 
Right? But again, that only works, according to Rav, if you hold that the, the, this cold flour that was now heated up by the gravy actually absorbs the heat and then, and then sends it back. El Shmuel, Right? But if you're going to say, like Shmuel, that the cold flour simply blocks Right, the heat, because it dominates over the heat of the gravy, so they never gets off the ground. Solas came with an NSC, Akuri Since this flour is cold, it's, it's going to be cooling off the gravy, and the gravy itself is not at all going to be heated up by this flour, and therefore you don't have a problem of that gravy becoming heated by something other than an H, and you don't have to worry about taking off the place. Now here, there is a whole Gearsa situation in the Gemara, that we have says, Lomali Yikmatis Makomo, Tiskele Bitul as Makomo. Right? It uses the two different languages of the um, of our Mishnah. That instead of taking a lot of the flour from the area that gets absorbed, right, you could just take that area where the actual gravy is is. Now, why would you have to take off that area? So Rashi deletes this girsa, right? Rashi says, um, lo garis bitos makomo sagi, right? Rashi doesn't have to have it. And how to actually make it make sense whether the gravy is absorbed in the flour or not absorbed in the flour. But be that as it may, we can understand at, le- at the very least that there's nothing wrong with, so, so that just becomes a discussion of how much of this flour can or cannot be used. Can, it, can you just eat all of this or can you just eat, have to take away, is it less absorbed, um, right? Is, it, is there less absorption? So that, that's going to be machlokas and a discussion of, um, a detailed discussion of how that works out. But at its core, okay, we have the issue of Rav versus Shmuel. Because at its core, if you hold like Shmuel, so then this gravy never heats up the flour. And therefore the flour never heats the gravy back up. And there's no problem of tzliyesh, according to Shmuel. So it must be the very fact that there seems to be a problem of tzliyesh here, on the gravy that was absorbed in the flour, it must be that we hold like Rav that right that ilagvar. So to which that challenge too is rejected because as we said earlier, that if you're talking about it's an interesting thing, but scalding hot flour, if somehow the flour itself was already scalding hot, so then the that would already not have anything to do with Machokas Rav Shmuel because the transfer of heat from the flour back into the gravy is coming from the heat of the flour itself. And therefore, it has nothing to do. Uh, it's, it's like the first case in our Gemara. It's Cham Becham, right? It's just two hot things. Everybody agrees that when both things are hot, that there's a transfer. And once there's that transfer and absorption of heat, so then there's a problem of Tzliyesh, and both Rav and Shmuel would agree that there's going to be a problem here with this gravy that dripped into the flour. Fascinating. So now we're seven lines up from the wide, and we have our third and final challenge to Shmuel from our mission as follows. Tanan. Sacha B'Shem and Truma. So there we go. We are going to discuss this. It's a, um, you have the Chabura, and they're smearing the gyro uh, of the carbon Pesach with oil. Now, Im Chabura Tzkohanim Yochelu, Im Shel Yisrael, so this is our uh, quote of our Mishnah, that if we're all Kohanim, it's fine. But if you are Israel, we said, if it's raw, im chayhu, yedichenu, im tzlihu, yiklof, As the Mishnah said, if it's raw, then you just wash it off. And if it's roasted, so then you just peel it off. So bishlem l'arav dami l'agvar. Amtu l'ahachi sagi le'beklipa. Aha. So if you hold like rav, and he says ilagvar, right? So that's why 
peeling off is enough, right? Now, this is a different thing, right? Because ilagvar, what happened? You have to assume that the oil that was smeared was cold. Okay, so let's apply this to Rav and Shmuel now. You have a scalding hot carbon Pesach, and you're smearing it with cold, right, oil. If you hold like Rav, ilagvar, then the smearing of the oil is like the pitcher, which means that all that matters is, is the oil cold or is the oil hot? If the oil is cold as it is in our Mishnah, so that's why you only have to take off a klipa. That only works according to Rav, right? Because the oil is cold. You can't have this oil, so you certainly have to peel it off. But the point is that because the oil is cold, there's no absorption of it, right, into the meat. Now, once it's considered absorbed, a klipa wouldn't be enough. Klipa suggests that it's only an hour to layer. But if, like, say, the oil was hot, then certainly we would consider that heat to be absorbed much more by the meat, and you'd have to chop off a lot more than just a klipa. That's what it means. So this is a, a different kind of raya for rav, right? Physics here is a little different, right? So um, so That's why it's good enough a klipa, as the Gemara explains. Because the oil that was smeared, which is considered the ilah, was cold. Aha. But if you said that it only matters whether this roasted Karim um, Pesach was hot, so then if that's what dominates, so then it's considered when that oil hits the Karim Pesach, it's considered as if the oil got hot, and then Mivla Bala. And then that said oil gets really absorbed into the Karim Pesach. Right? Why is a Klipa enough? They have enough oil here in the Hava Amina to assume that the whole Korban Pesach has to be thrown out because it's as absorbed, or at least for, for Israelim, it will not be valid because it was completely absorbed with Truma oil. Wow. To which the Gemara answers, shiny Sicha Demashu Ba'almahu Davida. An unbelievable, so to speak, Chiddush, unbelievable in the sense that how do you even uh, reconcile this, what case, right? In other words, we're not uh, local Orthodox rabbis that would know how to decide what the threshold here is, but the Gemara, be that as it may, is deciding that because the oil here was smeared in such a minute amount, therefore, even if you held like Shmuel, right, that the Sogvar, that it's absorbed, the absorption only happens to the amount of a klipa. The amount of oil that is smeared is, is even if it's absorbed, is not going to saturate, so to speak, be absorbed completely in the meat, and it's only considered very outer, uh, outer layer. So how do you determine once something is absorbed, how de- deeply is absorbed, is a whole different question, but it at least answers how Rav or Shmuel could fit in with our Mishnah, that only the outer layer is removed, even if you hold that said oil is absorbed. Wow. So now we arrive at the first wide line. We rejected, oh, we took all comer, on all comers to Shmuel's opinion, and we watered them off. And now we're going to say two brises to support Shmuel, and as Rashi said, we're going to uphold the sheet of Shmuel as follows. Tanya kavasei to Shmuel. Brises like Shmuel. How so? Like this. Chama so cham aser. Okay. Now we're getting very direct, right? So, Yoradea type of brises. If you have hot with hot, it's aser, of course. Everything transfers, as we said. Well, that sounds a lot like Shmuel. That if you put something cold, right, you pour something cold into something hot, there's a transfer of heat. Okay, chama tochtonin v'tonin However, if you pour hot into cold, 
or cold into cold, all you have to do is rinse it off and it's fine. Well, that's straight up Shmuel. However, the Brisa itself is saying something very unusual because it says, Wait a minute. You're going to really say that I understand. Let's say you hold like Shmuel, right? And you hold Tasa Gavar. You say that the cold is going to dominate the hot. Okay, but you can't deny, the Gemara is going to say, the physical reality that when hot and cold come together, that the cold at least heats up a little bit. So this would be true of Rav, uh, this would be a kasha on Rav or Shmuel, right? This is like a fundamental kasha of when hot and cold come together, right, that some transfer of heat must take place. So it's just asking a question. I can understand that there's going to be different degrees of absorption whether you hold like Rav or Shmuel. But if, if you're living in the world of physical reality, of course some of the cold gets warmed up. So you can't say that none of it is absorbing heat. And therefore, why would rinsing ever be okay? Just rinsing it off? I can understand cold and cold. You rinse it off, it's no longer there. There's no absorption at all. But hot and cold, says the Gemara. Let's read inside. Cave in the Chamhu, since something is hot, right? You have the, um, the BLT. Uh, when, when, when Andrew was down in Miami, the Surfside, they, you can have a BLT that's milchig. The whole thing is just milchig. Um, um, anyways, they have all kinds of, uh, delicacies, delicacies there. So you have like a hot piece of meat, and then you have, Right, cold lettuce, bacon, and tomato, or whatever it is. So Kevin the Chamu Adamekar lay, right? So you have the hot and the cold coming, it's so delicious together. But e after the Lobala Porta, Klipa Mihonibai. It's impossible that the cold doesn't at least absorb some right of the heat uh, uh, off of the burger. So at least you should have to re, um, remove some klipa right in that area where the hot and the cold touched. So it's a very general question about the physics of hot and cold coming together. So Gemara actually, uh, as a consequence of this physical reality, changes what the Brisa says as follows. Ela the Brisa should say, Cham kolef, and ein hachinami, right? It's true. That when hot and cold come together, it's not enough to just rinse it off. You have to take off a peel because you assume that at the interface of the hot and cold, there was some absorption and you peel it off. And then, however, if cold is, comes together with cold sand, then there's no absorption. You just rinse it off. Very good. So we've learned something fundamental here in the transfer of heat from one to, uh, to the other. Okay, good. But be that as it may, right, it sounds like Shmuel. Right, because because the, the Brisa says that Sonen Atocham is completely awesome, which means that Tasogvar. Fine. Another Brisa, Tanya Idach, Basarosech, This Brisa is going to end up being, as far as I could tell, exactly the first Brisa that we just said. Only it gives you an actual illustration. So let's say you had, right, hot gravy that fall into uh, milk. We're going to take, we're going to assume we're going to make an assumption that the, even though we're using two liquids, we're going to say they don't really mix, that one just stays sitting on top of the other, right? Because we're going to have to separate it in order for this, uh, right, in order for this to make any sense. So let's say, right, scolding gravy falls into milk and just sits on top, like non-homogenized, into the hot milk. So everyone's going to say, so right, even, even if they don't mix, right, because of just simply the transfer of heat, you're going to say that the whole thing is going to be absorbed, and that's going to be usher, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about how heat um, transfers isser from one food to the other. Okay, so that's going to be a problem when they're both hot, as the previous price, as the previous price has said, and as this price says. And, and let's say so. Now you had cold milk into um, or cold 
uh, let's say, gravy onto hot milk. So that's going to be usher, because again, tasagvar, this sounds like Shmuel. However, However, right, if you poured the hot milk, into, uh, hot gravy, let's say, into cold milk, and it stayed on top, or both the gravy and the milk were cold, so then all you have to do is pour it back out, make sure that there's no residue, and it's going to be good to go. So that sounds straight up like Shmuel. And then the Gemara simply is going to ask the same question again. Same exact question. What about this physical reality of once you have something a little bit hot, it has to at least at the point of the interface uh, do some heating up. And shouldn't you have to at least remove a, a layer? So the and And so therefore that price is amended, just like the first price is amended, to say that at the interface of hot and cold, when you have one hot and one cold, you have to at least remove that layer. Be that as it may, if, right, the bottom layer, if the tasa was hot, so then the whole thing becomes usr. And if the top one was hot, so then only the kleba becomes usr. This is a straight up raya for Shmuel, and that's in fact how we hold. Okay. Now, eight lines down uh, in the wide, Amar Mar, that if something cold was placed in something cold, you only have to re- rinse it. So to that, Amar Avuna, lo shanu el shalom lacho. Just as another aside, as if you didn't have learned enough your day already, this has to do with salting. Because we know over here, as an aside, the concept that salt, right, has the power. In those days, they didn't have refrigeration as we do today. And therefore, in order to, let's say you're on a trip, in order to preserve something, it was salted a great amount. And somehow that salt, that, that actually um, was halakha lamaisa until recently. The salting of the meats, the basar kafui, the different ways that they had to, the stages at which they would take meat from Argentina or wherever it was and bring it to Eretz Yisrael and the way they would have to salt it. At what stage do you salt it? Do you salt it before? Do you salt it after? Salting and freezing. These days they're a little bit more careful about that and they don't do this bidievid meat. But be that as it may, we're just learning the basics here, which is when something was salted, it was considered almost as if it was hot. That's an aside over here. It doesn't have to do with uh, the transfer of heat, but more so with salt being uh, right equivalent to heat, as, uh, as Ravuna says. As the Gemara continues to say, Amar Ravuna, lo shalom lacha. All of this discussion is when there was no salt. In other words, the discussion of cold on cold assumes non-salted. Because if it was in fact salted, you would treat it as if it was hot. That's the point. Because Shmuel himself said, something which is salted is as if it's hot. Right? And for all the purposes of if something is pickled in vinegar for a long time, it's as if it's cooked in it, in the sense that all of its essence ends up spreading into the entire thing. And these are fundamental concepts in your idea when you're discussing kashrus. So you have to know, was this pickled? Was this salted? Then it's as if it's mavushal or hot. To which Amarava says, That would only, uh, according to Rava, that would only be the case, so it's considered as if it's hot, if it's so salty that it's inedible. But if it's delightfully salted, so then that's okay. We're not talking about when something is salted like for flavor. We're talking about if it's so salted that it's not really even for flavor, it's only for preservation, then it's considered as if it's hot. And, you know, what the physical uh, reality is is beyond us here, but this is something that we would have to really delve into if we were learning, you know, Yeridea proper properly. Okay, so now 
Hahu uh, Bar Gozla, we're going to tell a story about this. Andrew, are you interested in a story having to do with salting in Yerdeh? Okay, good. Uh, I'm glad you're in the mood because here it comes. Ahu Bar Gozla, the Nafal the Chamcha. You're not going to believe what Chamcha is. Don't look now, Andrew, because we're about to have this lunch date uh, that we promised all through Brachos. Kutach. We're back to Kutach. There it is. It's the, it's the disgusting, um, what you discuss? The disgusting Aramaic, moldy, milching bread. The problem is it's milching, as you might recall. So what happened here? A cold capon out of the fridge fell into chicken. Fell into kutach. Ay ay ay. So that's not that's not good. I, I hate chicken in my kutach. I like it with cinnamon and nutmeg, as you know, Andrew. Yes. So 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 this capon falls into the kutach. The kutach is milchik. The capon is fleishik, so to speak. What happened? allowed it. Wow. He allowed to eat it. How? Who could be so wise to allow a cold capon that falls into a kutach? It had to be nobody other than Rav Chinana could do this. Only he would have the plates, right? Only he would have the authority to allow such a thing. The Gavar Rabahu. He's a great person. And only he could allow something that seems so not allowed. So Amalach, and how does he follow, follow the logic here? How could cold cape on the falls into Kutach actually work? Mind you, they're both cold. The problem is, as you know, the Kutach is really salty. Yes, but Rav Chinana was aware of what we just said, that the Kutach is salted, but not like so salted so as to be preserved, but rather salted for flavor. And therefore, it's not considered hot. And therefore, since both are cold, obviously you're taking out the cape on, you're rinsing everything off. But the point is that it doesn't get absorbed by virtue of the saltiness of the kutach. That's the point. Right? In other words, But here, the kutach, even though it's disgusting, it's not disgusting because it's too salty. It's disgusting because it's moldy. <laughs> it's disgusting before it's because of the recipe, but not because of the salt in the recipe. And the salt in the recipe is not why it's inedible. If it were so, that it's too salty to be edible, so then that would actually be considered as if it's hot. It would absorb the cold capon. However, in this case, it's salted for flavor, and therefore it doesn't absorb the cold capon, and you can just take out the capon, rinse everything off, and continue having your kutach party. The Gemara then says, But certainly, right, if the capon had been a roasted capon, then at the very least you'd have to remove the top layer of the of the kutach as we've been discussing. And the peeling would only itself would only be enough if there were no crevices in it. Rashi, Pili, crevices. So like right? So in other words, if there was no crevices in the in the in this where it could actually seep in, right? So then that's when you could wash off the other, other layer. Aval ispe pili also, but certainly if there's crevices where all the juice can flow into, then you'd have to like get rid of everything where there could have been iser. The imetubal betavli aser. And amazing, if it was seasoned with spices, as Rashi explains, it's completely forbidden, even if it has no cracks, because somehow the spices, Rashi explains, uh, somehow the, the, the spices absorb even more, a different topic in your idea, and therefore that's going to be aser. Okay. Beautiful. So that was Ahmed Aleph. And now we have six minutes for Ahmed Bey's. Ahmed Rav. Rav says, as we turn, a totally different topic. What's going on here? You have an oven. And you have your treif together with your kosher in an oven. 
So let's say one was fatty, right? And one, let's say the kosher one was fatty and emitting all kinds of uh, juices into the air of the oven. And the nevela, right, the treif, one was lean. So it wasn't, let's assume that the treif wasn't emitting a lot of ju- juices. Still it's usr. That's the point. New topic. Rashi says, what's going on here? Recha milsa. We'll see these words in the Gemara itself. In other words, even though, let's say you have a pig, Khalila, and you have a chicken in your oven and in the same airspace. And let's say the pig in this case was very, very lean. Okay? So you're not assuming that stuff is dripping off and spritzing onto the chicken. However, obviously, some reach is being emitted into the air. My timas, that's why it's still going to be usher. My they are fattened by each other, which means to say that even though not all of them are giving off fats and actually splattering on each other, they are actually fattened by each other. So in other words, Levi is the extreme makil here. He holds any time that you don't have actual physical right thing that you could see that's being splattered within the oven, it's going to be mutter. As opposed to Right, Rav, who holds, Rav, Rav holds that the physical doesn't matter, just the reach itself can answer one for the other. So a totally amazing topic within Yardea is Reich HaMilsa or not. And now we tell a story. Avid Levi, Uvda Levi, as you recall, was very makel on this. So he, in fact, ruled in an actual case in the Reish Kalusha, Bigdi V'davar Acher, Davar Acher is pig. Right, Basar Lavan, as they call it in Israel. Khalila, right? So you have Gdi, which is fine. The pig, they were both uh, cooked in, baked in the same oven, and Levi muttered it. He, he would never say to do so lechatchila, the poskim are quick to point out, but bidiyavid, he poskim that it's okay. But now we're going to challenge that. Seven lines down. Back to carbon pesach. So let's say you have two carbon pesachs and you're actually roasting them together. Okay. What's going on here? The ta'arovis is you need to have a pesach with, only with your chabura. You can't mish chills, as the people say. Right? You're not supposed to mix two chaburas together. So you can't really cook two pesachim together. Everyone has to be individual. Aha. Am I allowed to rub his tamim? Doesn't that seem to indicate that the way you're cooking it is, again, you're not cooking them like on top of each other. You're cooking them separately in two different ovens, in one oven rather. And it sounds like reach milsa. Bekasha levi. And that's a kasha Levi who says reach lav milsa. So the Gemara says no. Lo mipnei tarovitz gufin. No, in that particular case, we're talking about, you might mix them up. In other words, you have two chaburas. One has the uh, one carbon Pesach, the other one has the other one in the oven, and maybe they'll end up taking out the wrong carbon Pesach. So it's a gazer having nothing to do with this Yeradeah concept of Reich HaMilsa. It just has to do with Pesach. You can't switch them. You can't get confused. So hachinami mistabra, midiktani sefer. And it also makes sense that that's the issue. Because at the sefer of that particular, right, halacha, it says, afilu gedivet leh. So even if you have a goat and a lamb, so yeah, if you're going to say that the idea was that you might switch up the carbon pestle and get confused, that's why it makes sense to point out that it's two different species. If the idea was just Tom, then it wouldn't matter what the species is. In other words, a filu is only a chiddish if you're talking about taking actually the wrong carbon pesach. It has nothing to do with the Tom. With Tom, we don't care what the species is. Okay. So now that we said that this could work with Levi because it doesn't have to do that, because that price it doesn't have to do with, right, uh, the idea of Reach, um, uh, then Elamai, Al Korcham Tarovis Gufin Huda Aser, Al Tarovis Tamim Shari. 
Right? So we're going to say, so maybe it means that the Tarovah's Tamim is okay, and therefore Recha Lav Milsahi, Lema Davit Tuyuf to the Rav. So now we'll take the same Bryce and say that it contradicts Rav. So that is rejected, however. Now, this whole thing is not going to be support or Keneged Rav. It just is a totally different case where it's as if they are cooked in two separate pots. The Gemara says, Pots? It's the Korban Pesach. Who, who, who cooks the Korban Pesach in a pot? Calm down. We're not actually cooking in a pot. We just mean that it's so separate that it's as if it's cooked in two different pots. This is what it means. Right? You can't do the Tarovis Tamim of the Korban Pesach, but even if it's similar to two different pots, it's still going to be a problem. The Lake Tarovis Tamim, even when it's so far apart that there's no way that the Reach of one can impart on the Reach of the other, it's still going to be Asr because of this concern that you're going to mix up the bodies. And the Gemara is going to continue, the Shabbos homework is going to be this idea of whether this Machlokas between Rav and Levi is reflective of another Machlokas Tanaim that we learn in a Mishnah in Trumas which uh, has to do with uh, having bread on top of a barrel of wine of truma and whether that bread is actually absorbs the wine or doesn't absorb the wine of truma. Have a great Shabbos. Uh-huh.